me invite the rest of us to open in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Today is indeed Palm Sunday, but we have been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been paying special attention to the meals that Jesus eats and and shares with others in that Gospel. And so today we're sort of jumping ahead slightly in, in Holy Week, and we're going to actually look at the meal that Jesus eats on, on Thursday, on Maundy Thursday, together. We're going to look at the table of Jesus. So let me um, encourage you to have your finger on Luke 22. We're going we're gonna to head there in just a second. Talked a lot about, about meals and their significance so far in the last couple months. And I think there's a, a sense in which meals can tell stories. They can tell us about people. They can tell us about places. They can illuminate history even for us. In the, the western part of Ohio where I grew up, one of the, the unique foods that kind of tells the story of that place or connects people in that part of the world is something called Cincinnati chili. And it, uh, you can see it's pictured here. Uh, this is from one of, the, one of the best places you can get a plate of Cincinnati chili is Camp Washington. It's in downtown Cincinnati. We used to, to visit a church and do service projects just up the road from there when I was a kid. But Cincinnati chili is this unusual combination of spices. There's cinnamon, allspice, even a little bit of cocoa mixed with tomato paste and, and some, some heat. Usually it's a little bit spicy and, and ground beef. And then that's all put over a bed of spaghetti and they top it with this like mountain of cheddar cheese. And you can add onions, you can add beans. You can, there's all different ways you can get a plate of Cincinnati chili. But it's, it's a meal that kind of tells you what part of the country you're in. And of course, here in Jericho, we have the chicken pie supper. Right? For, for more than 100 years, it served as a meal that's kind of like a homecoming. Right? We actually get calls every year from a couple people. One of them lives in England. And they call and they say, when's the chicken pie supper? Because I'm coming back to Jericho. And it connects people to this place, to their shared history, to their neighbors, and to our church. Uh, Even though we haven't been able to do it the last two years, we're hopeful that maybe that that tradition will will continue going forward. Well, in the same way that, that those meals tell a story, every spring at at this time of the year, the Jewish people renew their story. They renew their sense of identity by coming together around a table. And it's a table that tells them who they are by retelling them who God is. And specifically what God has done for them and with them as a people. My my pastor friend Rick Harrington, who's a pastor over in the Boston area, likes to say that Passover tells the story of God in one meal. Everything we need to know about who God is is contained in this single meal, and, and in particularly what, what happens to this meal today when, when Jesus celebrates it. We think the chicken pie supper has been going on for a while. Right? 
The Passover meal has been celebrated. It's, it's now in its fourth millennium of celebration, in, in unbroken, right? It's been continued year after year after year. And so as we look at Luke 22 today, we're going to see Jesus and his disciples making preparations to, to share this meal, to, to join together around the Passover table and, and to keep the feast with one another. And I want us to think about how that invitation might also be extended to us as well as we begin Holy Week together. Let me pray for us as we read the word of God. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that it was with with careful preparation and intention that you come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast in Luke 22. It was this, this reason for this moment that you came from heaven to earth to be embodied, to dwell among us, so that you might be lifted up and glorified in this particular week, at this particular feast for us. Lord, as I look into your word this morning, may the words of my mouth May the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. So again, we're, we're here in Luke 22 this morning. If you've been reading through the gospel um, during your quiet times or, or following Sunday to Sunday, you'll know that way back, starting in Luke chapter 9, Jesus very intentionally decides to set out for Jerusalem. And he, he goes there with with the purpose of celebrating this Passover feast in mind. His, his timing is all about getting there at this particular moment. And so Luke tells us uh, just a few chapters before this that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He goes in and clears the temple courts. He weeps over the city. He enters the city triumphantly on, on Palm Sunday. But now verse 7 brings us to to a, a little bit later in that week on the day of unleavened bread. Luke records, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to Jesus, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of that house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. You can see that that this section of of chapter 22 is all about preparation. There's, There's an anticipation building. But it's about preparing for the most important meal of the year in in the Jewish world, 
the Passover Seder meal. And the, the word Seder in Hebrew means order. And it sort of gives you a clue that this wasn't a meal you just showed up for and, and figured out, you know, the moment of. But, but that Passover had some very specific orders, some very specific instructions attached to it as a meal. And, and many of those actually go back into the book of Exodus, and, and they're laid out for us there in, in the scriptures themselves. The intention behind all of the preparations for Passover was to ensure that, that every single aspect of that meal, that night, what you ate, what you drank, what was said around the table. The desire was that everything would point those celebrating back to the first Passover meal and would help them remember what God did when he rescued the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt. And so we're told in in verse 8, that as the day is, is drawing close, Jesus selects two of the disciples. He, he selects Peter and John to go ahead of them. And he says, you set the table. You prepare things. You get everything ready. And again, that, that meant that they, they needed to go into the city ahead of the rest. And it wasn't just a matter of like setting up the tables and chairs like we do in the fellowship hall for a meal. But there were significant things that needed to be procured for this feast. First of all, they probably needed to figure out where they could secure the best possible wine for that evening. Because there were a number of of blessings connected to, to cups of wine in the Passover meal. Secondly, they made made sure that they found enough unleavened bread. Bread like this, without any yeast or leaven in it. They would need that for not only this meal, but for the week ahead. And they would also need to ensure that whatever home, whatever household they were celebrating the meal in was also cleansed of of any leaven, of any remaining sort of yeasted products. Finally, and maybe most importantly, these two were probably charged with locating the Passover lamb that would be used that night. And so maybe even a few days before this, they would have gone to the market. They would have found an unblemished lamb from, from those who were selling them there. And then the day of, they would, they would take it to the temple complex, and they would wait in one of three long lines outside of the temple. And when they, when they arrived at the front of the first line, they would have the lamb sacrificed. And then the, the sacrificed lamb would be taken to an altar to be offered before the Lord in the temple. And then finally, after it was offered, it would be taken to another place where the priests would roast that lamb over the fire until it was cooked. And then they would return the the meat of that lamb to, to those who offered it to take with them to the evening meal. And so for for Peter and for John, the whole day, probably even a few days leading up to this feast, would have been consumed with these preparations. They would have been in close contact with with all of the ingredients that are going to go on the table that night. All the signs and symbols for this meal. And they're charged with preparing the table for Jesus. Jesus. 
just ask you, as we stand at the, the start of Holy Week, how are you preparing for the week ahead? How are you preparing for this feast? How are you preparing for the week of Jesus' Passover and Passion in Jerusalem? What are you doing to get yourself ready? How are you reflecting on these things? How are you coming into contact, close contact with, all the signs and symbols and words that surround this feast for us? So the two disciples are sent to prepare this meal. But I wonder if as they're doing this, it might not also have echoes back to something that happened earlier in this same gospel. We're back in Galilee. Jesus also commanded his disciples to to make things ready for him at a different meal. Remember, we, we talked about a day where the disciples were with Jesus in the village of Bethsaida, and, and person after person, crowd after crowd, continued to amass until at the end of, of a day of teaching and healing, there were more than 5,000 people present. And they were hungry, and they were looking for something to eat. And when the disciples raise this point to Jesus, what does Jesus say? Right? He says, you, you give them something to eat. Right? You, you prepare the meal. And on that night, of course, the disciples in Bethsaida had no way to feed that crowd themselves. But given Jesus' commands to prepare a place for a meal, they went out and they sat all the people down in groups of 50. And they told them not just to sit down, but to recline, to get ready for a feast to be served. And then miraculously, Jesus multiplied the few bread, the few loaves of bread and fish they had. And he multiplied them again and again and again until that entire crowd, even the 12 disciples, were, were fed and satisfied. And so on, on that occasion, right, Jesus told the disciples, you prepare the table, you get things ready, and I'll supply the feast. Well, I wonder if something similar is happening here. Because on the eve of Passover, Jesus has asked his disciples to prepare their table in Jerusalem. He even sends them out to purchase all the food that would be necessary for that meal. But what the disciples don't realize is that Jesus, once again, will be supplying the most important part of this feast. Look with me at verse 14 following. It says, and when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took up a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this cup and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
Again, all of the last 15 chapters, almost, of, of Luke's gospel have been building up to this point. Right? This moment where, where Jesus will enter Jerusalem, where the Passover feast will commence. And they're anticipating what's Jesus going to do? How is he going to bring the, the victory of God to his people? But all of that anticipation meets with a rather unusual beginning to Passover here in verses 14 through 18. And Jesus does three, I would argue, three very surprising things at the beginning of this meal. The first comes in verse 14 where it says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, meaning his disciples. And what's remarkable is not only how much significance Jesus attaches to this meal, right, that, that he's focused, he's been thinking about, he's been eagerly desiring to get to this moment. But what's even more significant is who he wants to celebrate that moment with. Passover, traditionally, even to this day, is a family occasion. Talking to some friends who, who live here in this community, and they said, You don't typically go to temple, you don't go to synagogue to celebrate Passover. You do it at home with your family, with parents and grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles. But Jesus says his desire is to share the most important meal of the year with his disciples, which I think reinforces what we've already said so many times that the disciples in the deepest way possible, have become the family of Jesus. He has chosen them to be around that table with him. And as they begin this meal, a second unusual thing comes out of Jesus' mouth at the end of that same verse. Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, before I suffer. Now this isn't the first, it won't be the last time that Jesus mentions suffering. But on the eve of Passover, the, the mood is celebratory, right? This is, this is a time to rejoice in the deliverance of God over, over the enemy, right? Uh, the, the, the drowning of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. God saving his people, and yet Jesus brings up suffering. But Jesus signals for them in these words that this meal will inaugurate, it will begin for him, his pathing is the Greek word here. And in the English, that's where we get the word passion from. Right? This meal and what is about to, to come after it are all about Jesus's substitutionary suffering for us. Only Jesus knows what's about to unfold. But again, this would have been out of place, out of character around the table that night. Thirdly, and I think tied to the reason that, that Jesus knows this is to his own suffering, we're told in verses 16... 18, that Jesus, it, it seems, is electing to fast from this meal. He's fasting from the feast. And he says the reason 
for choosing to do so is that he wants them to see that every element in that meal is going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Right? There's, there's a greater meaning. There's a greater significance. There's a greater fulfillment coming, Jesus says. And what does he mean by that? I think our, our first clue comes with the instructions he gives in verse 17. In front of everybody at the feast that night would have been four glasses of wine. And those were connected to four particular blessings that came at different parts of the meal. And when Jesus picked up the, the first of these cups, it would have been known as the cup of sanctification. It was the, the signal to everyone else that Passover had started. It was the way that the meal was, was begun. So the host would have raised the cup and, and drank it, and everyone else would have drank their first cup of blessing. But Jesus, instead of drinking his own cup, Luke tells us he sends the cup around the table. And he asks each disciple there that night to drink a portion from his cup instead. As New Testament scholar David Garland points out, in the, in the world in which Jesus lived, in the Semitic world, if you shared the cup of another person, to drink after another person, signify that you were being invited to share their destiny, to share a common lot with that person, whether for good or for ill. You were making common cause with them. So at the start of this meal, Jesus wants to know that what is about to happen is for them. He wants to connect these disciples to the meal they're about to have. He wants them to share in it with him. What would have happened next, and, and Luke doesn't elaborate on these details, but if this were a customary Passover meal, they would have passed a bowl of salt water around the table next, and everyone would have dipped a piece of lettuce or parsley in the salt water and, and eaten it to taste its saltiness. Then they would have taken uh, the matzah, or the unleavened bread. It would have been lifted up, was blessed, and then broken by the host. And at that point, someone at the table, usually the youngest person or a child at the table, was given a, a set of predetermined questions to ask the host. This was part of the Haggadah, the, the liturgy of the Passover meal. And the, the person would, would ask, they would say, on all other nights we eat bread. On this, on this night, why do we eat only matzah? On all other nights we eat all kinds of vegetables. On this night, why do we eat only bitter herbs? And usually this would sort of be a segue for the host the head of the family that night, to begin to talk about the first Passover in Egypt. And they would take time to explain how the salt water they had just tasted represented the tears of, of the people, the suffering of the people, as they labored in bondage in Egypt. And, and they would have explained how the matzah was, was the bread of suffering that they carried with them. It was the way God fed them and sustained them throughout the exodus from Egypt, right? When they had no time to, to wait for bread to bake or to rise. 
It was a time for the meal to tell a story. But for each course in, in the upper room that night with Jesus, Jesus chooses to tell a different story. And Jesus wants to say, this meal now not only points to the past and what God has done for his people, but it will point to this present moment. And Jesus begins to explain that he has become our Passover meal. He has become our Seder. Look at verse 19. It says, And Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, this is a departure from the script. Right? The customary words at this moment in the meal should have been, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Whoever is hungry, let him come and eat. But as Jesus picked up the bread of affliction, the matzah, right, he says, this now becomes my body broken for you. Jesus is putting himself on the table. And as he offers the bread for them to be eaten, he also attaches a command. He says, when you eat of this bread, which is my body, he says, you will do it in remembrance of me. He says, from now on, when you come to this table, we not only look backward to the God who rescues his people in Egypt, but we are going to look at the way God has rescued his people through the suffering, through the passion of Jesus the Christ. Jesus commands us to remember this meal. Right? In the same way that God commanded his people year after year after year to eat the Passover, Jesus says, you are commanded to eat this meal and remember me when you do it. And after the disciples took the bread and ate it in remembrance of Jesus, again, if this were a typical Passover, more of the story would have continued to be told. They would have taken another cup of wine, and instead of drinking this second cup, they would spill little bits of the cup out onto the table or onto the floor or onto their plates because this was the cup of, of the curses, the plagues that were brought upon Egypt in judgment. And as each plague was named, they would, they would slowly empty the cup. And after the, the cup of plagues was, was described and that story was told, then the main courses of the meal, including the Passover lamb itself, would have been served to the guests. And they would have taken time to enjoy that meal together. And at the end of the eating and feasting, it was time for a third cup of blessing to be raised. And this was known as the cup of redemption. And this 
is what Luke describes in verse 20. He says, and likewise, after they had eaten, Jesus took the cup, right? The cup of redemption, saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. Again, Jesus insists that this table, this meal, is about what he will do. They will tell his story. So Jesus says his own blood, which he knows will be poured out like a sacrificial lamb before sundown the next evening. Jesus says this blood he now offers as a cup of redemption. The cup which overturns the plagues, which causes healing and and shelter and refuge for God's people, which delivers them from their bondage. It's the cup of his blood. And Jesus says that by sitting at this table, by eating the bread that is his body, by drinking the wine of his shed blood, he says we enter into a new covenant with God. And here he's probably speaking about the the new covenant Jeremiah prophesied. A covenant, he, he said, God would write upon the minds and the hearts of his people so that we would know God personally, directly, and that we would belong to him as his people. Jesus is saying that he is our feast and that we feed on him so that we have everlasting life. Spent the last 25 minutes sort of unpacking this particular meal verse by verse. And here's my application for each of you. We're not going to come to the Lord's table today. But I want you to think about how you are preparing, how you are making ready in the week ahead just like Peter and John were commanded to do. How are you preparing yourselves to come to the table of Jesus? On Maundy Thursday, we will celebrate that meal here together. On Good Friday, we will will see and remember the, the sacrifice of Jesus for us. We'll meditate on, on how God saves and redeems his people. So let me me pass along that commandment of Jesus to keep this feast in remembrance of him because it reminds us, it tells the story to us again of who we really are by hearing who our God is and what he has done. Jesus earnestly desires to share this meal with us so that we might see the gift of salvation put before us on the table. Let me pray for us as we head into the week ahead. Lord Jesus, this whole week and all that it it contains and points us to is pure gift. Lord, the fact that you would ask us to be at your table, the fact that you would put upon that table your very body and blood. 
the fact that it would purchase for us the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life in you. Help us to come to you, Jesus, the great Passover lamb, and to keep the feast. Amen.